Olive and June is my favorite discovery of the year. Their Manny system is joy in a single box full of everything I need for salon-level manicures and great cuticles at home. Every polish looks as good as gel. And with Olive and June's poppy handle, you can paint clean lines with either hand. It's so easy, even I can do it. From the Manny system to great gifts under $30, including tons of polishes great for stocking stuffers, Olive and June has something for everyone on your list, including you. Go to oliveandjune.com slash myths and use code myths to save 20% on your order. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash myths. Code myths to save 20% on your order. oliveandjune.com slash myths. Code myths. This week on Myths and Legends, there are two stories of sorcerer's apprentices. On the first, you'll see how picking the wrong major can be deadly. And on the second, we'll learn the downsides of bringing everyday objects to life. The creatures this time are the L-maids. Hollow elves who just want to party with you until you die from partying. This is Myths and Legends, episode 248, The Magic Words. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today, there are two stories of sorcerer's apprentices. The first was collected by Andrew Lang, where a young man comes home from college to learn that his dad hates his new magical major. The second is the original story of the sorcerer's apprentice. The second century Greek inspiration for the inspiration for the inspiration for the 1940s Disney short. So, my boy, how's college? The merchant grinned while he was walking with his son in the garden. Bobino, the young man, said things were going well. <laughs> I bet they are. Ew. The merchant held up his hand for a high five. Bobino reluctantly met him. Bobino said his dad kind of oversold the college experience, though. It was less a four-year party and more just reading books by candlelight in a sorcerer's dank basement. Overhead, the sparrows chittered more and more in a cacophony of chirps. The father shook his head. Uh, wait, what were reading and a sorcerer's dank basement code for? He didn't stay up on the new lingo. Bobino said it wasn't code. He had spent the last four years learning under a sorcerer. The father looked up in annoyance. Hold on. He was hoping to live vicariously through his son, not be blindsided by the sorcerer talk. Also, these birds were super loud. They needed to go somewhere else so he and his son could clear this up. You want to know what they're saying? Bobino asked his dad. His dad chuckled. He didn't get it, but... Was his son serious? Bobino said, yeah, of course. That was what he learned at school. Didn't his dad look at any of his report cards? The merchant stopped his son. Bobino shouldn't change the subject by making this about his disinterest in his son's schooling. What This talking with animals thing. At least Bobino learned human languages, though, right? That's what he was there for. That's what his father was paying the teacher, uh, I guess the sorcerer, for. The son grimaced sheepishly. Human languages were actually next semester. Bobino could tell his dad what the sparrow said. Uh, warning, though. Birds were actually pretty prejudiced against creatures that couldn't fly. 
He wouldn't translate the slurs, but there were a lot of them. The father blinked. So, business, economics, math, the one with the stars and planets and stuff. The son shook his head. No, just how to understand the speech of animals. The merchant fumed. The dog came running, barking. (laughs) Puppy no laughed. Oh, good one. The dog came running up with a joke. Did his dad want to hear it? Dad? When Bobino looked back to where his father was standing, the merchant was gone. He had walked off in a huff back toward home. Bobino asked the dog if he had another joke. Dinner that night wasn't much better. Bobino knew that if he could really show his dad the utility of being able to talk to animals, then he would come around. And as they sat at the table, they listened to the frogs outside. Bobino asked his dad if he wanted to know what they were talking about. It was actually a fairly in-depth and nuanced discussion about the environmental impact that spiders have on, but his dad cut him off. That was enough. He was going to bed. He didn't want to see Bobino's face again. Tonight, though, right? Bobino asked. His dad was already halfway out of the room. You don't want to see my face again tonight. Dad? Bobino called out. He heard the door slam. Hey, Bobby. Bobby boy, Bobino, wake up. Bobino heard as the servant shook him. What? Why was the servant waking him up at the crack of noon he was on break? We're going for a ride, Bobino, the servant said. Bobino rose. Was this important? The servant nodded. Bobino patted the man on the shoulder. He had known the servant since he was a boy. The man basically raised him. If the servant said it was important, it was important. He'll be ready in five. As the carriage door opened, Bobino noticed something. The servant's eyes were red and puffy. All the servant's eyes were red and puffy. Bobino looked around. Did... Were they allergic to something out here? Also, when would his dad be out? The servant sniffled. Bobino's dad wouldn't be coming on this ride. The door clicked shut. As the carriage bumped along, Bobino asked if he could know where they were going. The servant sighed. He needed to level with Bobino. He and the other servants, they had been tasked with killing Bobino. Bobino sat up straight. What? But we aren't. The servant followed up. Oh, we're not? The servant in the seat behind Bobino, approaching with a groat, asked. No, the main servant said. Put that away. This was Bobino. They weren't going to murder somebody just because his dad was mad that he spent all of his college money learning how to talk to animals. Super cool major choice, by the way. The servant interjected. He took a do-little elective, too. Fun stuff. His parents didn't think there was a future in it, though, so they talked him out of it. I mean, he was now hired to kill people who majored in it, so they were either very wrong or very right. Either way, Bobino wasn't going to die today. Bobino sat back. He couldn't believe it. His dad wanted him dead, all because he was wasting money on the boy's education. Sorry, I know it's hard to hear. Your dad just wants a fresh start, though. 
Don't know why he couldn't have that from disowning you or letting you leave and live your life. Your dad's a thorough guy, I guess, the servant noted. Bobino thought about it. Yeah, his dad was thorough. So thorough that he was going to want proof. Had the servants thought of that? (laughs) The servants chuckled. Oh, sweet child. You don't work for a guy who would have you murder his children for their major choice without thinking a few steps ahead. No, they brought Bobino's dog along for that. Bobino said, Oh, his dog? The servant smiled. Yeah, it was great news. They would catch the dog that was loyal enough to follow Bobino to his death, kill it, and then bring back its heart for their master. Bobino rocked back. That that was horrible. Yeah, you say that, but you weren't forced with the choice of murdering a kid you raised or digging out his puppy's heart. It could be worse for you. Now, I love you, but if this takes too long, your dad's going to get suspicious and I'm assuming you don't want to be around for this, the servant observed. He was correct. Babino said a quick thank you to the servants, said goodbye to his dog, who actually understood him, and then sprinted as far away from the scene as possible to avoid hearing what happened next. The herdsman heard something approach and picked up his cudgel, He relaxed when he saw the source of the noise. It was a kid. A kid who was not doing well. Bobino's clothes were closer to rags at this point. It's not that he had been out in the wilderness a particularly long time, but the clothes he had worn, his silks and soft fabrics, they were not up to the challenge of roughing it. Bobino raised his dirty hands. Not a robber. Not gonna kill you. Did the servant have any food? Or if he didn't, did you know where Bobino could find some tasty moss or, or which mushrooms were edible? He tried asking the squirrels, but they just liked to laugh at him as he got diarrhea. The servant told the kid to wait there while he rounded up his flock. When he did, he led them all back home where his wife and children were waiting. He said that he found a kid out there that wouldn't last a week. He needed help. His family jumped to, preparing a place for Bobino at the table. And for the first time that month, Bobino sat down to a meal he hadn't scraped off a tree. The family chatted around him, but Bobino stopped eating and turned his ears to the barking outside. He took another bite and then cleared his throat. Uh, uh, Hey, not to bring down the mood or anything, but you guys are going to get robbed tonight. The husband and wife stood. Both of them reached for their clubs and, jabbing at Bobino, pushed him back from the table. Bobino tried to reach out for his soup, but the jabs were more and more aggressive. He said, wait, no, I'm not going to rob you. Guys are coming, though. The shepherd lowered his club for the second time that day. All right, Bobino needed to explain himself. After a few more sips of soup, Bobino said that he understood the speech of animals, he studied under a sorcerer and took the wrong electives, let's get past that, but the dog out front heard something from the dogs down the road. It was like a 101 Dalmatians thing. The dogs were warning of robbers. And tonight, the shepherd, his house, and his family were the targets. We'll see what happens to the robbers, but that will be right after this. 
You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The solution was simple and elegant and effective. When night came around, the family wouldn't be home. They would be hiding in the hedges alongside the road with their cudgels. If you're wondering what a cudgel is, it's basically a club. Think of it like a baseball bat with a big, rounded, knotted end. Some of the fancier ones were hardened wood, studded with metal spikes. The plan for the shepherd was for the family to wait in hiding, until they surrounded the bandits and beat the men until they either stopped moving or moved in the right direction, which was back the way they came. Thankfully, the bandits chose the latter and ran away. That is, if we're trusting a doggy game of telephone, which not only properly identify human bandits and then effectively communicate that across a long distance and multiple dogs. Whether they just assaulted actual robbers or like, or like another traveling group was irrelevant because the shepherd and his family were safe, thanks to Bobino and his knowledge. They offered for Bobino to stay and join the family, and as appealing as staying with a family of six in a one-room house was, Bobino decided to continue on. The family insisted on outfitting him for his journey, and Bobino went on his way to see the world, or to see two frogs playing keep away with a third, tossing a small bottle between them. Ah. Can't get it, the frogs mocked the other. I don't want to get it, I don't even care, what is it? The frog in the middle, frog arms crossed, asked the others. I don't know, it's like medicine or something. The frog catching the tiny bottle replied. It belonged to the girl inside. She was dying, he thought, I don't know. His understanding of human wasn't that great. That seems kind of mean, the frog in the middle said. The one with the medicine shook his frog head. Well... The humans eat them sometimes, so this sort of thing evens things out. It actually is still mean, though, the frogs heard, spinning around to see Bobino. It's just like withholding medicine from a girl that probably doesn't eat frogs. It's not going to bring your friend back. It just adds more pain to the world, Bobino observed. Oh, yeah, and he had an associate's degree in animal linguistics, and he could talk to animals. A few minutes later, Bobino knocked on the door of the cottage outside of which the frogs had been tossing the medicine. He presented the tear-soaked father with the medicine, saying that someone dropped it out front and the frogs were playing with it. The frogs were wary, but their hearts were in the right place. Oh, and also stop eating them. The father said, sure, they didn't really like frog all that much anyway, and also he appreciated the lesson regarding frog psychology, but did the traveler mind if he went and, you know, 
saved his daughter's life? Bobino said, absolutely, please go. When the man returned, offering a reward for Bobino bringing back the medicine, he found the traveler gone. Bobino was already down the road, and later on that week, he found some travelers resting under a big tree during the heat of the day. He sat down with them and passed his bread over, and the three got to talking. Bobino learned that that evening, the citizens of a nearby city were going to choose a ruler. The people choose their own ruler, Bobino said. What will they think of next? While the other two guys said it wasn't unprecedented for cities or even regions in this time to hold elections for representatives to rule with the consent of the governed, and not simply submit to some lord or king who claimed it by birthright, Bobino cocked his head. The sparrows above had something to say. Bobino turned. He named the city where the elections were taking place, and then said that the birds above said it was going to be one of them? The other men got quiet. Bobino listened. Yeah, the birds said that one of them will be chosen as a king or governor or whatever it was. They said they didn't keep up in human politics. Oh no, I'm not calling them that. Because it's bigoted. Oh, okay. You are the least bigoted bird I'll ever meet. Sure. Because you say stuff like that. The men were looking at Bobino, who was having a very one-sided, chirpy conversation. And Bobino rolled his eyes. Birds, am I right? The men rose and sprinted toward the city. Birds are all liars. You know that, right? Bobino yelled after the men. Well, you are, he said. Yes, I realize the hypocrisy of calling you prejudice than saying all birds are liars. That's unfair. Just you guys are. Bobino tipped his hat over his eyes and took a nap in the heat of the day. Ugh, birds. When the sun lowered in the sky and the afternoon bled into evening, Bobino decided he should go into town and get some food. He still had some money that the shepherd family had given him. As he got closer to the city, he noticed the crowd gathered in the center. Oh, yeah, the elections. Ugh, even so, he still had to eat. He worked his way around the crowd, looking for an inn. Then, he spotted an old friend. Not in the crowd, but in the sky. Hey, he yelled at the sky. Hey, I know that guy. Hey, Bobino. An eagle soaring through the sky called back. How's it going? The eagle was wondering when Bobino was coming back to school. The bird said his contract got renewed, so he was still working as a tutor. They were on break, and he was here visiting when they put a hood on him and stuff. He was late. He was going to lose his job. Bobino called back that he wasn't coming back to school. Dad tried to have him murdered. Oh, animal linguistics major, huh? Yeah, the eagle said, landing on Bobino's arm. Ooh, actually, you doing okay, Bobino? Because you kind of don't look like you're doing okay. Bobino looked at his shabby, threadbare clothes, his dirt-caked skin, yeah, things had been better. And they will be again, friend, the eagle said. Oh, yeah, thanks. Gotta keep your head up and all, I know. Tough times right now, Babino replied. Before noticing that everyone in the city, the whole crowd, had turned around to stare at him. The eagle replied that no, he meant things will be better 
now, as in right now. Bobino was their new king. The bird explained that this whole thing, it wasn't democracy. These people believed in augury, which was interpreting omens from the behavior of birds. Vis-a-vis, I landed on you, so you're their new king. The eagle said that he was proud of the kid for following his dreams, even when it didn't seem to make sense. He was glad it worked out in the end. The eagle flapped off before the people had a chance to catch him again. And he was right. It had worked out in the end. Bobino, the kid who was chased out of his home because his dad thought his major was a waste of money and arranged to have him killed, was now a king, elected because of what he had learned from the sorcerer. Now, I was an English major in college, a fact that you might know because I referenced it constantly in early episodes, but I don't know if I mentioned this. I was actually super angry about that for a long time. I loved being an English major, but afterward, when it came to graduating in a recession and looking for a job, I wished I had done anything else. And I was really bitter that I studied something I wanted to study and thoroughly enjoyed. Then, this podcast happened. And suddenly, all those years of reading, writing, narrative theory, they weren't useless, but exactly what I needed. It doesn't always work out. But sometimes it does. And this story is a good illustration about how following your dreams might be exactly what you need to do. The next story today starts with one friend telling another about his internship with a sorcerer. But that, once again, will be right after this. So I was walking in Memphis. I was walking with my feet 10 feet off the street. I was hovering because I was the apprentice of a sorcerer, the Roman man said, sipping the ale across from his buddy. Wow, that was not the direction I thought that sentence was going, the friend replied. And by Memphis, you mean the one in Egypt? The only one. This is the second century AD, the man, the former sorcerer's apprentice, said. Anywho, I met the guy, the sorcerer, on my way down from the statue, the Colossi of Memnon. Oh, the one that talks? The man asked. The apprentice said that if the man would wait for him to finish his sentence, he would be able to tell him that he heard the statue speak, so yes. The statue belted out a hexameter, which isn't relevant to the current story, so he won't repeat it. (coughs) Fake, the friend coughed. The apprentice said that it wasn't fake, this is a real statue, look it up, Colossi of Memnon. People came from all over, Roman emperors, everybody. The statue was said to be an oracle, and people actually thought it made noise and spoke. However, it truly didn't matter what the statue said to him, only that it said something. And now the narrative was very much derailed. Getting back on track, as he descended the path, he was humming the line the statue spoke to him, and that caught the attention of another, an elderly man, who was said to have spent 23 years in various tombs studying the occult sciences. He was a priest of Isis, the Egyptian goddess Isis. The sorcerer's name was Pancrates. And you know what they say when you meet a man who spent over two decades in the dark surrounded by dead bodies, thinking he was communing with the dead to learn forbidden magic. You fire all your servants and commit yourself to be his student, the companion stated matter-of-factly. 
yes, which is what I did, and my application was rejected. So I tried a different method, and we became best friends. So you're conning a sorcerer pretending to be his best friend to learn magic. That doesn't seem like a good idea, the friend replied. The self-proclaimed apprentice said that his friend would be surprised. The sorcerer might be a sorcerer, but spending 20 plus years isolated with corpses didn't exactly convey a ton of street smarts. It did give the sorcerer the ability to ride a crocodile like one would ride a horse, which was pretty sweet. Anyway, it was like first grade all over again. I asked him if he wanted to be best friends. He accepted, and I joined the team as a secret apprentice. Team, the friend asked. The self-proclaimed apprentice nodded. Yep, well, he thought it was a team. There was another quiet guy, a servant that followed them around. The apprentice never saw the man's face. It was always hidden under a hood. And then he realized that the man didn't have a face. The apprentice discovered that when the man died, when he was kicked by a horse. He also found that the thing wasn't actually a person at all. You see, whenever the sorcerer and his best friend would come to an inn, the sorcerer would steal the door bar, a broom, or a pestle, and sneak it up to the room. The sorcerer would then borrow some clothes from his friend to dress the item. The sorcerer had to borrow the clothes because he only had his robe and wizard hat. Once the item was dressed, the sorcerer would utter an incantation, and the thing would grow arms and legs, and the sorcerer would order it out to buy provisions, fetch water, take care of the horses, anything the sorcerer didn't feel like doing. When he didn't have a need for the thing's services, and also didn't want to buy a horse for the thing to ride around on, he would utter another incantation, and the thing would clatter to the floor and resume being a pestle, broom, or door bar. The best friend and self-proclaimed apprentice begged him to teach him the secret to making free, ethically clear servants who had to do his every whim. The sorcerer said no for, like, so many reasons. One, these things didn't have sentience. That would actually be wrong. They did whatever you told them to do, to the letter. That also meant that they didn't have a conscience. And so, if the apprentice decided to sell or tell the secret to, say, an evil king, the guy could just make an army out of household objects that would commit atrocities for him. The sorcerer said the final reason was because he said so. The magic was too powerful for anyone without proper training to wield. The self-proclaimed apprentice crossed his arms. Fine, he was going to bed. The sorcerer shrugged. Cool, they shared an apartment together. He could do whatever he wanted. He'd be down here in his workshop. Could his friend shut the door behind him? The self-proclaimed apprentice walked to the door, shut it, and then slipped into a cabinet. He was going to learn the secret to making unquestioning servants. He was the sorcerer's apprentice, not the sorcerer's roommate. Well, you actually were his roommate, though, right? Like, he didn't officially take you on as an apprentice. You were just friends with the sorcerer trying to learn a bit of sorcery. The storyteller shook his head. That, that details. It took a few hours, but the apprentice finally heard the magic words. They were only three words, and the apprentice knew enough to mimic every part. The sorcerer had the pestle clean up the workshop, and then stand there awaiting further instructions. The sorcerer went to bed, and the apprentice slipped from the room. The next day, the pestle and the sorcerer headed out to the market, and the apprentice stayed behind. When the two figures disappeared around the bend in the road, the self-proclaimed apprentice ran to the kitchen, grabbed a pestle, and set it on the floor in front of him. He said the magic words and... Wait, magic words? The friend asked. 
He didn't like put on the wizard's hat imbued with magical energy. The apprentice said, has the friend been paying attention? No, he used magic words. Where did, why would a hat have magical energy? Moving on. Anyway, he chose a pestle to come to life and not a broom? Why not a broom? It could have those cute little bristle feet. The companion asked. The sorcerer's apprentice said, no, it's not a broom. This is ancient Rome. And the first time the story has been told, it's a pestle. Therefore, we're not infringing on any... Never mind. It was a pestle. Anyway, it worked. The pestle grew arms and legs, and the apprentice, whose job it was to fill the water basin, had an idea. What if he didn't have to do that today? He could do whatever it is people did in remote regions for fun in the ancient world. He whistled for the pestle, told it to grab some buckets and run to the well, fetch some water for this basin. The thing immediately picked up the buckets and started marching. I'm sorry, my friend and I are trying to tell a story. Will you please take your Creative Commons adaptation of Dukas's Sorcerer's Apprentice to the next table over? Sorcerer's Apprentice asked the musician, who was going from table to table, playing public domain music. The self-proclaimed apprentice, in the story, sat back, and after a couple of rounds, when the basin was full, the pestle went to fetch more water. The apprentice called out that he, he could stop now. It was full, but the pestle didn't. The basin overflowed, and it went to grab more water. The pestle returned still another time, pouring water in, while the apprentice shouted for it to stop, but it just kept going. The apprentice saw only one solution. He grabbed the axe from the corner and brought it down on the humanoid pestle, hewing the thing in half. You didn't chop it up into tiny pieces and then leave the room, breathing a sigh of relief that it was all finally over, the companion asked. The apprentice said that he did the latter, but he didn't even have time to do the former because both halves of the pestle twitched life and grew arms of their own. They each picked up buckets and following the programming of the original, filled up the basin that was already overflowing. The two filled up the basin for around an hour, leading to a few feet of water that ruined the basement. And when the sorcerer returned, he took one look at the place, uttered the spell to turn the pestles back into pestles, jumped on his crocodile ride, and blazed off into the sunset, leaving forever. Oh, so he didn't, like, playfully smack you on the butt with the broom? A wry smile on his face, indicating that you should get back to work? The companion asked. The sorcerer's apprentice said, no, that would have been strange. He just left on his crocodile, forever. And yeah, I know there's a lesson here about how you can't just have power, but need knowledge and experience to responsibly handle that power. But there's also a lesson here about how you shouldn't be friends with sorcerers who leave town and stick you with half the rent. I also lost the security deposit because of all the water damage. Sorcerers. That's the original story of the Sorcerer's Apprentice, written in the second century by a Greek writer. It went on to be the inspiration for the poem by Goethe, which went on to be the inspiration for the song by Dukas, which was the inspiration for the 1940 film, Fantasia, where Mickey Mouse was the apprentice. A film I referenced, but did not infringe upon. But really, I grew up watching the VHS of Fantasia, and this story was my favorite, so I'm glad we could finally include it. 
Next week, there are two stories from Neapolitan writer Giambattista Basile, with Mario Pipes and a guy who makes out with a she-bear. If you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of dog leggings, which exist and creep me out for some reason, you can get extra episodes and ad-free versions of the show. That, sadly, won't make your dog super trendy, where they can just throw on a flowery tunic and be ready for any holiday party. Check out mythpodcast.com membership for more information on the membership. The creature this week is the Elmaid from Scandinavian folklore. We all know that you shouldn't take candy from strangers, except on the one native year known for death and terror. But probably just as important, you shouldn't take wine from strangers that you meet walking along the road. Wine and, well, breast milk. We'll get into that. The Elmaid, or the Elfmaid, makes things look like they're gonna be a lot of fun. You're riding along the road at twilight, and a really nice woman approaches. A bunch of her friends are dancing in a nearby grove, and she wants you to join them. So she holds up a goblet of wine, or something else for the other thing that I mentioned but won't go into. Don't be fooled, though, like so many men have. The men take a drink, and then it's all over. One man, who passed by a hill standing on red pillars, probably a good indication that something was off from the get-go, took the wine that two maidens asked him to drink. He drank, and the woman asked if he would come again. He chuckled. He absolutely would. They disappeared in an instant. When he got home, though, he couldn't get the thought from his head. That night, he sprang up in bed, frantically screaming that he had to go back. He had to return to them. His wife and sons threw themselves on the man, binding him to keep him from leaving. He couldn't take the strain of resisting the magic of the Elmaids, and died shortly thereafter. Another young man accepted one of their drinks, but didn't come straight home. In fact, he partied with them for three days straight, until his family rode out and saw him, rushed home to cook some meat, and then brought it to him, so he could smell it. Not sure if this was his favorite dinner, and he was like, led to the house by the aroma, like one of those old Looney Tune cartoons, but it worked. For a moment, his desire for meat overpowered the magic but he still resisted eating, until his dad threatened to beat him with a switch, and then he dug in. He passed out for three days after that, and didn't go back to the maidens, but he was always different after that day, like part of him had been left out in the forest. One person, riding a horse, took the drinking horn full of wine, and guessing immediately that something was up, smiled, and threw it over his shoulder. It hit the horse's rear, and started smoking, burning the horse. The horse did what the man should have done the moment he thought something was up, and bolted. The old maids followed, flying after him, saying that they didn't care if he didn't drink, but they did need that drinking horn back. The horse crossed a flowing river, and like vampires, the old maids couldn't cross it. The man bartered, and the woman enchanted him with the strength of 12 men to get their magical drinking horn back. The man thought it was nice, what with him being like a medieval Captain Sweden or whatever, but he was also a little annoyed because now he had the appetite of 12 men. If you think that a stranger offering you wine on the road at night might not be on the level, as opposed to all those people offering free roadside parties we all run into all the time, there's a quick check you can do. The Elmaids are hollow. And I don't mean like emotionally hollow. They are literally hollow. There's no back to them. And if you get them to turn around, you'll see that they look like they've been poured into a mold. You'll be able to see through to the backs of their eyes. 
Additionally, like vampires, they are not a fan of crosses. And if you even make the sign of the cross in their presence, it will make them think you're more trouble than you're worth. And they'll get on out of there. Or, as always, just don't take wine from strangers in the middle of the dark forest at night, and you should be fine. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free. And the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.